G'day. Welcome to God's Word Today's World, applying scripture to modern life. My name is Dan Van Werkhoven. I'm an Aussie writer and pastor living with my wife on a tiny island called Saipan. Join me today as I dig into scripture and explore how God's Word can still be applied to our lives thousands of years later. Hey, you're listening to episode 16 of the God's Word Today's World podcast. In today's episode, we're again looking at Acts chapter 9, but this week, instead of looking at it from Saul's perspective, we're looking at it from Ananias' perspective. God called him to talk to a man Ananias knew was determined to kill Christians. And that terrified Ananias, but still he went. In the West, we don't often have to talk to people who want to kill us, but there are still people in our life who we're scared to talk to about Jesus. Sometimes they're our family, friends, people we work with, go to school with. It can be terrifying to talk to those we're close to about Jesus, but we need to be willing to do so because Jesus commands all believers to take the gospel into the world. If you want access to the show notes and the full transcript, you can find those over at www.godswordtodaysworld.com forward slash listen and look for episode 16 on the list. If you'd like to support the show, you can do so by leaving a rating and review on iTunes. But without further ado, let's dig in. Last week in episode 15 of the God's Word Today's World podcast, we witnessed the incredible conversion of Saul when he encountered the risen Christ on the road to Damascus. In one moment, Saul's life was turned upside down, and he realized something incredibly painful. He realized that in his zeal to serve God, he was actually fighting against God. He was attempting to destroy God's church. When he discovered the truth, he immediately stopped and instead started preaching the good news of Jesus. But I suspect that that, I suspect that the harm Saul had caused to others was something that would stick with him until the day he died. Even knowing he had forgiveness, I don't think that that would have eased the pain. This week, we're actually going to stay in the same passage because I didn't feel that I could move on without talking about Ananias. Our passage today is Acts chapter 9, verses 10 through to 19 in the World English Bible. Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, he said, behold, it is me, Lord. The Lord said to him, Arise and go to the street which is called Straight, and inquire in the house of Judah for one named Saul, a man of Tarsus. For behold, he is praying, and in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and laying his hands on him, that he might receive his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard that from many about this man how much evil he did to your saints at Jerusalem. Here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. 
But the Lord said to him, Go on your way, for he is my chosen vessel to bear my name before the nations and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. Ananias departed and entered into the house. Laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he received his sight. He arose and was baptized. He took food and was strengthened. Saul stayed several days with the disciples who were at Damascus. So Ananias, living his life in Damascus, worrying about the arrival of a Pharisee named Saul who was on a mission to destroy the Christian church, doubtless he and the other believers in Damascus were desperately praying that God would save them from the hand of Saul. But as Ananias is praying for God to save them from Saul, I doubt he imagined just how God would save them. Then finally, Saul arrives in Damascus. Word quickly gets around that he was led into the city like a blind man. God had answered the Damascus believers' prayers. There's no way Saul could go about arresting people if he was blind. I can imagine that as word filtered through the city, that there was great rejoicing. And then God calls to Ananias in a vision. Go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for Saul from Tarsus. I've sent him a vision of a man named Ananias coming to restore his sight. There was no room for confusion in God's order. God was talking about the Saul, the Saul persecuting unto death people who believed in Jesus. I can well imagine uh, Ananias' legs getting weak and him sinking to the ground thinking, no way, not Saul. I can't talk to Saul about Jesus. He'll arrest me. And I know what happens to the people he arrests. They die. Imagine Ananias' fear as God tells him to go and talk to Saul. This isn't just talking to a stranger. This is talking to a man bent on seeing you and your Christian brothers and sisters killed. I admire Ananias' courage, though that he only objected once to God's command before he went. He learned a lot faster than Moses had when God told Moses to go speak to Pharaoh. The reason I wanted to focus on Ananias today, though, is to say this. If we live for Jesus, there will come a time when God calls us to share the gospel with someone we don't want to share the gospel with. There will come a time when he commands us to speak up about him despite our fear of talking about him to that person. But the person we're scared to talk to about Jesus isn't always a bad guy. Sometimes they're our family. Sometimes they're our closest friend. In the West, we don't often deal with talking to people who are out to kill us because of our faith. Rather, Our biggest challenge is talking to friends and family about Jesus. In the West, we don't really need to fear death for our faith. We fear ridicule, rejection, and scorn. We fear losing people we care about because we talk to them about Jesus. I get the shakes and feel nauseous when I think about sharing the gospel with certain people I know. I fear losing their friendship. 
I fear losing their love, their respect. I'd rather leave it to someone else to tell them. That way they can hate that person, not me. And yet I have to ask myself this question. Is keeping quiet about the gospel really loving them? If you've given your life to Jesus, then you know what you were saved from. You were saved from an eternity in hell, separated from God. You were saved from an eternity of pain, all because of what Jesus did on the cross when he died and rose again, taking the penalty for our sin. Our friends and family who don't know Jesus, they face that. Unless they put their trust in Jesus as the Son of God and repent, that eternity in hell is what's in store for them when they die. If you haven't put your faith in Jesus, that's what you face. I don't want anyone to face that. I wouldn't wish that on someone I hate. And yet I gotta ask myself, do I really mean that? If I'm willing to let someone I love spend eternity in hell because I don't want to feel uncomfortable talking about Jesus, because I don't want to risk losing their friendship and love. Often we're happy to share the gospel if it's convenient or easy. It's one thing to make a Facebook status about Jesus and hope those we care about who don't know him read it and are impacted. But it's completely different to talk to them directly. However, talking to them directly is what we need to be willing to do. If you have a friend, for example, who you know can't swim, but they're going to go white water rafting without life jackets. I know it's not going to happen, but bear with me for the sake of the analogy. If you know that person, you wouldn't just post a link on Facebook to a YouTube video about swimming and hope they saw it before they went rafting. No, if you really wanted to make sure that they'd be safe, you'd talk to them and say, hey, I'm worried about you going rafting without knowing how to swim or without wearing a life jacket. Can, you, can I teach you some basics? Which one of those options would show you cared more? The video posted with the hope they might see it or the direct contact and expressed concern and love? Of course, we can't control if they respond with scorn to what we say. We can't control whether they laugh at us and mock us for offering to teach them how to swim. They'll be in a raft. There's no need to learn how to swim. They won't like what we say unless they realize they need saving too, just like we did. I didn't like hearing the gospel until I realized just how badly messed up I was and how desperately I needed Jesus. It took me a while to even realize I needed saving. I thought I was fine. But the thought of that kind of conversation with someone can be scary. However, in the wise words of the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, don't panic. See, when we really start to consider the reality of heaven and hell and what that means to those who we love who don't know Jesus, it can be easy to give ourselves panic attacks over trying to find every moment to talk about Jesus. We can stress ourselves out overanalyzing every conversation and trying to work out the perfect moment to speak about what Jesus has done. 
And that leads us to miss half of what they're saying in conversations. And it gives the impression that we don't actually care about them because we're not listening to them and that we just care about what we have to say. And that's not good. So no, I'm not saying that you have to go right now and find your friend and family member who doesn't believe in Jesus and tell them about Jesus. Unless, of course, you feel that that's what the Holy Spirit is prompting you to do, in which case, go ahead. I'm not saying that by not immediately telling them about Jesus that you don't love them. That's not what I mean. Rather, what I'm saying is this. Are we willing to face a bit of shame, an awkward moment, or possible rejection in order to share what Jesus has done in our life with them? And that's a hard question to think about. However, being willing to speak up is, I believe, the hardest step. The next step is much easier. Waiting on the Holy Spirit. Once we're willing to face the awkward moments and the possible rejection, we don't need to go out and try to squeeze Jesus into every single conversation. Having a conversation about coffee? Hmm, I wonder how I can tie that into the gospel. Oh, maybe Jesus' love is like the first sip of coffee in the morning. No, we don't need to do that. Rather, what I believe we need to do is to be ready when the Holy Spirit prompts us. If you don't know what that looks like, that's okay. Because as you spend time building your relationship with God through study of His Word and prayer, you become familiar with what the Holy Spirit's prompting feels like. You can ask God to show you. And remember that God wants us to serve Him. When we eagerly desire to follow him, he will guide us. For me, personally, the Holy Spirit's prompting is like a building pressure inside that I can't fully explain. It's a feeling that if I don't speak now, it'll be too late. And that continues to build until either I open my mouth and start talking, or I ignore it and the moment is gone. If I ignore it, then I'm left fe- I'm left with a profound sense of disappointment, like I let someone down big time. And the reason I say that this is less stressful than trying to work out the perfect words to say in every single conversation is this. It's not up to us. Now, perhaps to some who are chronic planners who have to have everything decided ahead of time and the idea of letting go of control here is stressful. And if, this, if that's the case, it's stressful because we're trying to do someone else's job. It's like hopping on a plane and sitting in the exit row seat and being stressed because we don't know how to fly the plane and or when to open the emergency exit. Instead, we should relax because the pilots know how to fly the plane and the stewards know what they're doing. And they'll tell us what to do. They'll instruct us if and when we need to open the door. We just need to sit back and enjoy the flight. The point is this. It's not our job to find the right moment or the right words. That's the Holy Spirit's job. And if we trust him, he will guide us. Luke 12, 11 to 12 in the NIV. 
When you are brought before synagogues, rulers and authorities, do not worry about how you will defend yourselves or what you will say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. See, when we try to do all the work, come up with the words, come up with the right time, we miss something far more important. We miss God's perfect timing and knowledge of our hearts and the heart of the person we're talking to. We can actually say the wrong thing when we try to plan out the perfect response and stick to it no matter what. It'd be like charging into the cockpit of the plane and trying to take over flying it when we're not licensed to fly planes. We've had no training. Or it'd be like opening the emergency exit when we think is best instead of waiting to be instructed when. Neither will go well, and chances are we'll do more damage than good. When people accuse the disciples of being drunk at 9am in Acts chapter 2, after they had received the Holy Spirit, Peter had had no time to prepare a fantastic sermon. He had had no time to put together all his arguments and pleas. He felt the Holy Spirit's prompting, and he opened his mouth. What he did have was three years' focused study with Jesus. He had the knowledge in his head, but he had no chance to plan what to share. By his nature, he was an impetuous person who, when he spoke, often said foolish things, things which Jesus had rebuked him on time and again. He wasn't an eloquent man with well-thought-out arguments planned in advance. And yet... When he spoke on that day, the words that came out of his mouth led 3,000 people to be saved. All that because Peter was willing to do one thing. Open his mouth and say what the Holy Spirit wanted him to say when the Holy Spirit prompted him. Peter had no way of knowing what those 3,000 people needed to hear. All he knew was that Jesus had told them not to worry about what to say, that the Holy Spirit would guide their words. And he trusted that. And boy, oh boy, did the Holy Spirit use his boldness. See, the thing is, we can't plan the perfect words. We can't plan the perfect time either, because we have no idea what that person is needing. We don't know their heart. But God does. God and Jesus are flying the plane, and the Holy Spirit is back with us, guiding us every step of the way. We just need to listen. And to me, that takes so much pressure off. All I need to do is show up and be willing, willing to speak up when I feel that pressure that I know is the Holy Spirit's prompting. What comes next is up to the Holy Spirit. It'll probably be clumsy, awkward, uncomfortable, and I'll spend the next few years overthinking it and wishing I'd said something different. I could have done so much better if I just had time to write out my thoughts first. But we need to trust that what we did say, what the Holy Spirit led us to say, was what those we love needed to hear. This isn't a one-sided event. When the Holy Spirit prompts us to speak up, it's because he's already been working in that person's life, preparing them to hear what we have to say. 
when God told Ananias to go speak to Saul, God was already preparing Saul to hear Ananias' words. When Jesus spoke to the rich man who wanted to follow him in Luke chapter 18, and Jesus told him to sell everything and give it to the poor, that rich man went away very sad. Why? Because God was already at work in his life, and he realized the true cost of following Jesus, giving up everything, and that terrified him. But he heard it. If he wasn't ready to hear that, he would have gone away scornful or treated Jesus like the Pharisees and teachers of the law did, with mocking. No, the rich man was saddened because he knew it was true, but he didn't want to accept it yet. Jesus knew what he needed to hear because he knew how God had been softening the man's heart. The same is true when the Holy Spirit prompts us to speak up. He's already been at work in who we're speaking to. And even though our words come out clunky and awkward and we wish we could have said things better, the Holy Spirit can still use those words. It's also not our responsibility to change hearts. That's not up to us. All we can do is be a witness in both our actions and our words. We may never hear the result of the few words we share when prompted by the Holy Spirit to speak up. It may seem like those words fell on deaf ears, and we may never know what stuck in their heart, what they thought over day and night, or even what they forgot until years later when someone else says or does something, and those words we spoke come back to mind. The author and pastor Francis Chan is in ministry today, and God is using him to impact thousands of lives, because over 60 years ago, Two Chinese men in a communist country that frowns on Christianity invited Francis's dad when he was a kid to play basketball them, with them. They showed him love by inviting him to join them, doing something that he loved to do, and they shared the gospel with him. They never saw him again. They probably don't even know that he went on to have a son whom he raised to love Jesus a son who grew up to be an incredible witness to Jesus in the West. We just need to be willing to speak. What happens next is not up to us. It's out of our control, and we need to let go of our desire to be in control. We need to relax. We don't need to orchestrate anything. God's already got it under control. We don't need to fret and worry about what to say and when to say anything. We don't need to feel guilty about not filling every conversation with words about Jesus. All we need to do is be willing, be willing to speak up. Then, when the Holy Spirit prompts us, open our mouths. Be waiting for the Holy Spirit to guide us. Be looking for opportunities for where he's prompting us and leading us. When it comes up in conversation, to then not run away from the topic, but to be bold to let the Holy Spirit do the talking through us. And let those words be backed up by a life lived in honor of God. Let those words be backed up by actions that match what we say. To me, that's a huge weight off my shoulders, knowing that it's not up to me to save anyone. I just have to show up and speak up when called to.
So that's my challenge this week. Be willing to speak up when God calls you to. Is our love for our friends and our family so great that we're willing to face an awkward situation, possible scorn, maybe rejection? That's not easy. But seeing someone we love give their life to Christ, knowing they have eternal life, that's worth it. When I was finishing writing this message and editing it, a song by Casting Crown started playing that I hadn't heard before. And I believe it was a God thing because the song perfectly summed up what God put on my heart to speak about. That song is called One Awkward Moment. You can find a link to it in the show notes for this episode on www.godswordtodaysworld.com forward slash listen and look for episode 16 on the list. This song, One Awkward Moment, was inspired by a discussion Mark Hall, their lead singer, had at a youth Bible study, and the following is taken from a billboard interview with Mark Hall. We were talking about sharing our story with people. Your story is who you were before you met Jesus, what happened when you met Jesus, and what life, what's life been since you've met Jesus. That's your story, and we should all as believers be able to tell our own story, Hall says. We were talking about how there is something that gets in our head right before we share the gospel with somebody that tells us, you are just going to blow this. You don't know what you're talking about. You're not smart. You're not a smart enough Christian. You're not a good enough Christian. Keep your mouth shut. Especially when they're friends. When it's somebody we love, we're scared to do it. While discussing it with the group, the nucleus of the song began forming. This is what happens with songs, whole size. I didn't plan to say it, it just came out. I said, the people that you love, if you really do love them, they are worth one awkward moment, aren't they? Aren't they worth one awkward moment, just pushing through and saying, look, I love you, but you've got to know that I'm praying for you. I'll tell you right now, I'll be the biggest train wreck in heaven, but God loves me, and I know he loves you. And if he can save me, I know he can save you. Hall looked at the teenagers in the Bible study and could tell he was striking a nerve. Teenagers tend to look at the ground a lot, but I saw heads come up when I said that, he recalls. I knew this is something that needs to be said, and it's probably the strangest song title I've ever had, he laughs. When people saw the title and hadn't heard the song, they were like, one awkward moment? What's that about? I think it could be a movement of just saying, hey, what if you just took three minutes of courage and just shared the gospel with somebody you love? What would happen? Thank you for joining me today on God's Word Today's World. If you'd like to view the show notes or leave a comment, you can find the complete list of all podcast episodes over at www.godswordtodaysworld.com forward slash listen. Hope to see you next week. Now go apply God's word to your life.